Good morning. I'm Wimala. I'm covering up my Buddha too, but my beautiful flowers from my brother-in-law and sister-in-law uh, sent to my mother and me yesterday. So um, those are showing. That's the same difference, right? So today is February the 4th, Friday. We still have lots of snow and it's cold outside, but it is a beautiful sunny day today which we haven't had for a while, and it is wonderful. It just it just brings energy, doesn't it? That energy just, well, you can feel it. It's like, ah, just let it, let it get into my eyes, let it just be, be present. Um, so a good day probably to get out for a walk, or to go skiing, or hiking in the snow. A walk might be what I do. I don't think I'll go skiing. <laughs> so we're going to continue with Wisdom is Bliss. We're in the last section, and it's uh, some of this on samadhi, realistic samadhi. Samadhi is that uh, sometimes called uh, folk concentration, but I like stability of mind better. We're, we're going all the way from, as beginners, we're learning to become... Uh, to have a calm mind and to have and to be able to work with our mind more and better uh, and it and it's building up our building up our practice building up our wisdom we're building up all the qualities that allow us to have a calm mind and to understand our minds better but the whole process is leading to Developing just an ability to have a quiet, uh, maybe not a quiet mind, but a calm mind. Be, letting our minds become more and more clear and stable. But we do that by learning to be mindful and we learn, we, we, we take it as a gradual path. We don't, it's not something that the majority of people can just jump into and all of a sudden be in, uh, jhana states or be in, uh, completely concentrated states. So sometimes we set up our expectations and then we're disappointed if we can't do it right away. So when we get to the, uh, in the Eightfold Path, the eighth step, and of course we're continually going round and round with the eight steps. We're not following the eight and then stopping or anything. We're, we keep working the path and we're every time we're working the path, we're going deeper and going into the supramundane as opposed to just the the uh, regular path of how to be a good person, how to have a happy life, and how to be free of suffering in this life and lives to come. But we're going deeper and deeper into that uh, path that liberates us. So uh, we're always working the path. We never get, you know, we never grow out of it. But this chapter on realistic samadhi is really opening some uh, discussions that we don't typically have. So I appreciate Robert Thurman's way of explaining things. From reading yesterday, I, I, I was talking to Diane Bratson, and we both love the, his imagery of the energy whales, uh, the the 
16 or 17 heavenly planes that are the abodes of numerous pure-bodied deities who have landed there out of attachment to those heavens. So our attachment even follows us into the heavenly realms. We can become attached to certain states that keep us kind of locked away for a while in maybe a certain beautiful heaven-like existence. But it's there. It's there. The attachment to um, to these particular abodes has have has become an attachment to those uh, deities in them. Beings in the, those realms, in these realms, have subtle, semi-boundaryless bodies and use only three senses, sight, hearing, and touch, as they live on pure energy and have no need of taste and smell. And he said, Robert Thurman says, I think of them as gigantic energy whales who lack hard boundaries and sexual differentiation and just surge around feeling love, compassion, and joy as they merge in and out of each other. <laughs> so his uh, his images are there. I love the image of the whale, the boundaryless whale. They're just bouncing back and forth and having a great time. So his just and I haven't experienced these these uh, certainly these I haven't experienced these heavenly planes. So I don't I don't know <laughs> if they're if this is how they are or not. So the next section is loosening the self and relaxing into immensity. So everything we're listening to, everything you listen to as I'm reading from this book, you know, Rob, I'm in the Theravada tradition, and that's where my experience and knowledge has, has been most solid. And Robert Thurman has been in the Buddhist tradition since he was a very young man, and he's quite old now. So he has he has a different world of experience and different teachers. And it's fascinating to get his take on this and and it's very helpful to to kind of expand out more. So this section loosening the self and relaxing into immensity. And then we will be able to sit we'll sit even if we run over time. Imagine you have stilled your mind and focused your consciousness on your own reality as modeled by materialist scientists, focusing on how you are composed of molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, waves, and super subtle wave particle objectively indeterminate energy phenomena. You focus within to such a degree of subtlety that you experience yourself dissolving into this super subtle world, yet you remain conscious of yourself as it's flowing super subtle, fragmented, and fragmenting processes. He's saying, imagine this. It seems inconceivable, of course, as our habitual consciousness seems to conform to our concepts of hard boundaried self and things. But this is what the yogic progression up through the four immensities, or we call them the, the four Brahma Viharas, the four uh, sublime or the highest abodes. But this is what the yogic progression up through the four immensities seems to consist of. 
It is truly what may underlie the meaning of the word sublimation, in that the energies of instinctual lust and conscious desire are restrained and rechanneled back into oneself, and instead of melting outward into another in sexual release, one melts into a stable reality in one's own place, as as mediated by the normally unconscious autonomic and automatic central nervous system. Okay, so hope you're following so far. I don't know, I might be a little bit lost. A key point here is that the immensities are not experienced as another place into which the yogi or yogini, and their yogi and yogini are just terms for people who are meditators. Uh, A key point here is that the immensities are not experienced as another place into which the yogi or yogini enters by crossing its boundaries. They are experienced as the uttermost inner essential being of where the yogi or yogini is present, the actual presence of the yogi or yogini, the mind having felt related to ever more subtle, sublimated levels of embodiment, moves into a sense of disembodiment, which at each level is perceived to have always been its own essence, as well as that of all other beings. The immensity of equanimity, and that's that stability, that balance, brings you to the event horizon of departing completely from any sense of embodiment whatsoever, where your one-pointed concentration turns into a formless trance state of complete disillusion of any sense of mass. You self-experience as the infinite mass of pure light, your infinity of presence rendering your sense of differentiable mass irrelevant. I'm going to read that sentence again. You self-experience as the infinite mass of pure light. Your infinity of presence rendering your sense of differentiable mass irrelevant. Every differentiated material thing, subjective and objective, seems to disappear into the medium of the experience of infinite space which is experienced as a still deeper, seemingly more releasing bliss, but in a way beyond bliss as a release from stress, as the awareness floats free from any sense of restriction or limitation. As the mind naturally expands into the infinity of this infinite space, it seems as if the insubstantial mind itself becomes infinite, and one sublimates or subtilizes and releases yet more deeply and intensely into the realm of infinite consciousness. And and I'm assuming he's talking from his own experiences here. The unrelenting, not further releasing bliss, the unrelenting, not further releasing bliss of this sense of expansion itself becomes so excruciatingly powerful 
that any sense of even blissful self-presence itself, that any sense of even blissful self-presence itself seems a kind of imprisonment. And one moves through a kind of ego terror into the experience of the medium of seemingly nothing whatsoever, giving up any sense of presence within the bliss of letting self-expression go completely into an experience of nothingness, a kind of consciously sought unconsciousness. And finally, the sense of infinite, eternal unconsciousness at the most super-subtle level itself seems somehow limited and exclusive, and one goes to the ultimate level of subtlety into the medium, an experience of neither consciousness, into the medium and experience of neither consciousness nor unconsciousness. The four immensities and the four bodiless trances are themselves called the eight planes of sublimational contemplative achievement. And the yogini or yogi who achieves these experiences for real is considered a master contemplative. Buddha himself is depicted as ranging up and down or in and out of these eight states during the various versions of his demonstration of corporeal death. So at his death, before as he was dying, he was going in and out of these different states of the jhanas. His final departure from the body in all accounts in the great total nirvana discourses the Mahapati Nivana Suttas, in either Sanskrit or Pali, these are the same, this this is these are the same, occurs when he is at the event horizon between immense embodiment and disembodiment. So when he's leaving leaving his body, between the fourth divine abode contemplation and the first formless trance, giving the hint that his Buddha continuum has both physical and mental dimension, even after leaving his previous Buddha emanation body. The most important point here, one that may differentiate differentiate the Buddhist contemplative phenomenology from those of most other mystical traditions, is the point that Buddha made to all of his followers. No one of these eight states and experiences is a, quote, state or experience of Nibbana or Nirvana. Not even the most super subtle seeming, non-dual seeming medium of neither conscious nor unconscious trance is Nibbana. It is not liberation. It is not the final relief from suffering that is Buddhahood. A Buddha is definitely a master of all eight states, but not a terminal dweller in any one of them. This is the this is the important part. As none of them is the ultimate reality of all things from which a Buddha is by definition never apart. Rather, a Buddha is defined as someone who is present in all these states and in all other desire realm states simultaneously active everywhere out of compassion for other beings, 
still feeling caught in the trap of suffering. Buddha allowed his individual vehicle students to imagine that Nibbana was just such a state beyond the gross physical reality of the desire realm and beyond even the more subtle pure form realm, divine abodes, beyond even the formless media and maybe something like a state of seeming total obliteration, seeming and maybe something like a state of seeming total obliteration of presence, a kind of ninth state beyond the fourth formless medium. He put them into the paradoxical situation of not equating Nibbana with any kind of formless state, yet allowed them to think of it as something other than the relative world, to think of it that they perceived as pure suffering. He taught the samsara-nibbana duality, and samsara is this world of suffering, the world that we live in. He taught the samsara-nibbana duality as the provisional situation for those disciples, though as we saw in the great focus of mindfulness discourse, he is constantly hinting at the non-duality that is the real solution. In my opinion, this is Robert Thurman giving his own opinion, that was because their fixated ego sense was so strong and so rigidly imagined as their real self, apart from relational things that they could only envision, release as a glorified projection of their desperate desire to withdraw permanently and escape into this imagined, absolute, disconnected self. Once they had done their best at that, they knew they would feel more secure and then intended to appeal and then they intended to appeal to their subtle and refined intelligence to recognize that the seemingly separate absolute could not be absolute since they had related to it by entering it experientially. This then brought them back into contact with the more challenging quest of maintaining the natural bliss of relief while remaining infinitely interconnected with everything, which is defined as the fully awakened condition of Nibbana. So if that was way beyond where your practice is, which it certainly is beyond the level of my practice, um, don't worry about it. <clears throat> I think I think he's really trying to say that even in those early days, the Buddha was having to work with the the egos, with the with the people he was teaching, and uh, they had such a fixated ego sense that was so strong and so rigidly imagined as their real self, apart from relational things that they could only envision release as a glorified projection <clears throat> of their desperate desire to re withdraw permanently and escape into this imagined absolute disconnected self. So he had to understand that they had to go through all of that and then finally, finally could realize that it's letting go of the ego uh, completely when we are able to see our connections to everything. And then that's true Nibbana.
So that's, um, you know, even, even these things that I know Robert Thurman may be talking about from his own experience and may be very different from uh, what I'm used to uh, reading about and talking about. It is, his writing is beautiful and there is that sense in there of, okay, that deeper understanding that Nibbana is this letting go of these five aggregates. You know, they, we always say the five aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, form, feeling, perceptions, uh, mental formations, and consciousness. Those are all things that are, that are, uh, hold us together is what we think of as me, mine, you know, who I am. That's where suffering, that's where all the suffering is. That's what keeps us bound into, in these cycles of life after life. And it's only when we're ready to let go of that sense of ego where we're fully liberated. And so I think that's the ultimate, uh, the truth of the Buddhist teachings. And I'm, I'm loving being able to tap into the way Robert Thurman thinks about it. And he explains it's some of it. I'd like to say, like, don't worry about, you know, some of the things he's saying because all of us probably need more experience um, with our meditation to even experience some of those states. But I appreciate the beauty and the uh, the depth of his <clears throat> of his writing. So, um, but it always it seems to always come back with each section to the same truths that we that we talk about and understand in our own tradition. So I love how it, it's connecting, very connecting with, with it's connecting us with our other uh, Buddhist families, you know, who have different, uh, maybe when we listen to someone talk who practices Tibetan Buddhism or Zen or a form of other form of Mahayana Buddhism, we may think, well, I don't think that's what we, I don't think that's what I've heard people talk about. Um, we can see, we can begin to see and really understand that it's all, it's all coming back to basically the same, the same person and the teachings, not of a God, but of a human that uh, helped us crack the, is helping us crack that cosmic egg, right? So why don't we, I'm sure our time is about up, but let's sit a little bit and just sit with the, wow, the immensity of what Robert Thurman is talking about but sit with it at your own level. And that level may just be, okay, my eyes are a little bit more open every day to seeing the connection with everything. That might be your intention for the day, to just let you, when, so I'm watching, I have only two squirrels today and one's chasing the other one away. I have to go buy more uh, sunflower seeds. But, um, can I look at those squirrels and actually see with my eyes more open, like the, the really recognize that connection, not only with the squirrels, but with the trees and the snow and the, uh, you know, everyone I meet today and everything I do today, just try to see it from that more expansive viewpoint. And, uh, you know, if we let go of our egos, 
there's nothing anybody can do to us that we take personally. So uh, not taking things personally is a, is a really great way to, to see how far we've come in our practice. And that's our daily practice of mindfulness. So whether you're even able to sit for 10 minutes a day, you can practice mindfulness all the time. So uh, don't think you can't meditate and that that's a failing because we can, we can practice every minute of the day. We can, we can breathe, We're, our body's breathing for us and we can pay attention we can, we can use our memory to, to remember what we've learned and to remember what we've experienced and seen as true. So as we go through our day, we can, we can choose to not take anything personally. And that means don't, if someone uh, makes a dramatic gesture, hand gesture, when you're, if you're driving and they think you've, I don't know, uh, done something that they don't like in traffic, don't take it personally. And uh, I keep remembering uh, Bhante Sujata's Driving with Bhante CD. And what a wonderful CD. I was driving a few times with my brother in Tennessee, and he tends to be rather, he's a safe driver. I feel really safe when he's driving, but he tends to uh, kind of take some frustrations out on the uh, fellow travelers on the road, I think. And I'm not used to even driving in a, you know, I'm not used to being a passenger in the car a lot of the time. But uh, I kept thinking uh, how much I would love to have just pulled. I didn't have one with me, but I wish I could have gifted him with a Bhante Sujata CD. So probably still need to do that. I don't know how kindly he would <laughs> accept the offer, but I know his wife would appreciate it. So, um, you know, we... Because Bhante, Bhante is talking about all those things. If we can practice driving mindfully, what an incredibly strong, profound practice that would be. So we, would, we don't take those uh, holes in the, the streets and those bad traffic and other bad drivers. We can learn how to not take it personally. And we have to learn it over and over again. So why don't we just sit with how we can expand our mindfulness and begin to think of it eating away at this concept of uh, me, mine. This is, this, is, this is mine. This belongs to me. This is me. This identifies who I am. How, how we can just start with letting things go and not taking things so personally. And it can lead to this over uh, un unbelievable uh, feeling of the spaciousness of the universe, you know, being, we can just melt into it. So my two squirrels and I are, I, can, I could see that connection in a totally different way. So, uh, we work at it at our own level, but let's just sit for about five minutes together. Be aware of the body breathing.
and every living sentient being is in some way breathing right now. Just like us. That body is taking in something and releasing something in exchange. Let's just be with the breath for a few minutes together. Feel your chest open up, roll your shoulders back and let your let your lungs just be able to with the most gentle breath you'll be breathing in more oxygen. And then relax the body. You can do that with an open chest. Don't feel stiff. The body relax. And stay with each breath. Don't try to block out your senses. If you close your eyes, that's fine. but you can have your senses open. Taking in everything. That means thoughts will go through your mind. Don't try to get rid of all thoughts. That's just not possible. But no need to stay Uh, attached to those thoughts. Just let them come and let them go. Just like those whales just happily bouncing into each other. The thought can arise and you're, you know, you you might notice the thought and your attention may go to the thought, but just bounce off of it.
Now keep just breathing. Stay with your breath if you have the time. Just try to sit for another five minutes at least. Or you might have time to just sit. But may everything we do and think and say today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings everywhere. Not only on this planet, but all around us and all through the universe. Begin close to home. Begin with yourself. May you be well. May you be happy and experience joy. May you feel safe and may you be at peace. And I'll see you again on Sunday morning.